We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. If you want to follow me on Twitter, and it's Wednesday, March 1st. We're getting we're getting close to the spring. It's it's pretty warm out here today, here in here in Louisville. It's gonna be like over 70 degrees. Then by next week, it'll be down to 40, right? That's the way it is here. Up and down, allergies all over the place. It doesn't matter. But uh, we're getting closer to MLB season. So get your MLB questions in. Get anything about, about playing uh, the MLB DFS, FanDuel, DraftKings, anything, prize picks, prop betting, sports stuff, any, anything, anything you want, email them in, questions at theoryofdfs.com. The last the last two weeks of March, I will be doing a MLB primer heading into the season. So if you got any MLB-specific questions, but obviously if you got any questions in general about DFS strategy, any topic, anything, Prop betting, anything, it doesn't matter what it is. Any questions at all, send them in. Questions at theoryofdfs.com. I use that to uh, to determine the topics to cover in this unstructured learning environment, right? We'll go over things over and over again, right? doesn't matter, right? New people, old people, cement things into our heads. But if you want structured learning, get the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. 15-hour audio DFS masterclass you can pick up at theoryofdfs.com or even the advanced course with the custom Excel tools. All the stuff that you could learn that is on this show will be in, in, in these two courses. 21 hours of audio, all the Excel tools. That and a Roto-Grinder subscription is pretty much all you need to be profitable in DFS. But uh, good morning to everyone in the chat. Watazuki Singh here early as usual. Spencer Smith, Defic Trey. Hit the thumbs up button. Hit that like button. You know how much I like the thummy thumbs in the morning. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Hit whatever you want. Yesterday, we talked about late swap macro strategy. Okay? So from the macro standpoint of determining where and when you late swap 
is dependent on the equity distribution in the contest that you play. Okay. And the two base equity distributions are progressively payout contest and non-progressive payout contests. Progressive payout contests are typically GPPs. And the larger the field, the GPPs, typically the more top heavy they tend to be. And then the non-progressive payout structure contests are like double ups. Head to heads would be the, the bare minimum, right? But a double up, like I see here, like we show this equity distribution of a GPP. If we were to draw that out for like a double up, I mean, a double up would be something like that, right? At this line, you 2x, right? At like the 45th percentile or so, right? And that's it. That would be the equity distribution. Because once you get to the 45th percentile, the top 45th percentile, you get 2x and whoever's at the number one, right? The top zero, one, right? up, It gets paid the same. So any points that you get from there to there doesn't matter, right? But obviously in a progressive payout contest, it matters a lot. And as you get closer and closer to the top spot, it gets exponentially more and more equity which means that the closer you are to the top, it sounds, we went over this yesterday, it sounds counterintuitive. It sounds counterintuitive that in GPPs, the closer and closer, the closer you get to the top, the more inclined, the higher expected value decision it would be to late swap. The further and further away that you get, now, obviously, there's an inflection point at some point. But the further you are away from the cash line, the less incentivized you are to make drastic late swaps, right? Because you have to understand what the nut advantage. I'm using a poker term called nut advantage. And in double ups, like this equity distribution, there's no nut advantage doesn't matter. What's the nut? Well, the first, the nut advantage would be how do you get to the forty fifth percentile, right? Because there's not, you don't get any more, right? So if you're if you're sitting in a double up, for instance, and once you adjust for PMR and salary, you figure you're fifteen points ahead on average than the field. Like, are you are you late swapping? Are you like no? There's you're you're already there. You're already in first place. You're already in first place because first. And 45th place in a 100-man double-up or something. Pays the same. You, you're, you're in first place. You're tied for first with all these other people from a payout perspective, no matter what your score is. In a GPP, first, second, third, fourth, fifth are dramatically different spots. Making a late swap that gets you from seventh to fourth is worth a lot, a, a ridiculous amount more than going from, uh, you know, uh, 568th to 472nd, right? Maybe, maybe you get an extra 0.5x or something. You go from a, you go from a, a $5 turns into 15 or as it turn, turns into 17.50. Going from fourth place to seventh place is the difference between like $1,500 and $5,000 or $10,000 or something, a lot, a lot more. So from a macro standpoint, from a macro standpoint, you should be more inclined to late swap, to gain leverage, to gain points that the lineups that you're competing against are less likely to get, okay? And when you have the nut advantage, 
That means you have you have a lineup that a lot of the field can't have. So you may not be you're not competing against all the other lineups in the contest. You're only competing against the lineups that combinatorically have similar players to you. So it's quite possible that after the 1 p.m. Eastern games in, in NFL, that you have you have the stack that went off, the defense that has 20 plus points. You're now just competing for for this equity up here with maybe a couple of hundred lineups. The other lineups don't matter anymore. Right, you're competing. You're competing for the top spots. Now, in reverse, in reverse, if you don't have the nut advantage, you don't have the stack that went off, the defense that had the return touchdown or something, and you have a decent score. It's not like you have nothing. Like you're not competing against any of those lineups. Like you're not, this equity over here towards the top one percent, top five percent, it's gone. You can't. You're you're not you're not getting there. Right, it's unlikely that's happening. So you're just competing for this equity down here between these two lines. The equity between 25th percentile and the 5th percentile isn't that great of a difference. Sure, I'd like to take, I'd, I'd rather have a 5x payout than a 1.5x payout. I'd rather have a 3x payout than a 1.5x payout, but the difference isn't that big, right? So if you're sitting here, if you're behind the ball, if you're sitting here and you're, you have a 40th percentile type of score, when adjusting for PMR and salary. Like making switches so that you could get to like, oh, how do I get to the top 1%? You, you're not going to be able to. Your aim is should just get to the 25th percentile or wherever the first payout spot is, right? So you have to make up 15 percentage points of ownership for as much, as many points as you need. Maybe you're over here and you're down by four points on average. So you need to make up four points in relative value. It's quite possible you don't have to late swap at all, right? A lot of people sit here in, in a GPP and they go, oh, I'm blowing up my lineup. It's like, why? It's quite possible that you could leave all the, all the, the highest projected lineup at that moment in the rest of your spots and cash and cash fine. No problem. You'll, you'll have a higher chance of cashing. And the more and more you late swap, it's like the more and more you're increasing the range of outcomes of your lineup. So this is what ends up happening. I'm going to get rid of this. This is how you should be thinking about it. Get rid of all these. The sketch pad. So let's say your lineup is like right here. Okay. If you left, if you left your lineup the way the way it is, maybe your range of outcomes is something like this. Something like that. Right? Based on your projection. Right? So you're sitting here, it's like, okay, I'm I'm behind the ball, behind the cash line. But on my current, if I just play the highest projected lineup at that moment. Like I get to like the 20, 20th percent, something like that enough of the time. And then I get to a little bit less than that percentage of the time. If I, if you to late swap to lower projected players, maybe your range of outcomes goes something like, like that. You get a little bit more on the high end, a little bit less on the, on the low end, 
But are, but where's your equity? The equity difference of doing so is is minimal, right? Let's say you, you make it even further, right? Maybe maybe you could stretch it out to like something like this, but now your downside is like heavily because now now you're now you're you're fading the forty percent on player, right? This is in relative value. But getting even to the fifteenth percentile is that gaining you that much? It's like a two x payout, two point five x payout, maybe. It's less likely you get there. It's more likely that if you stayed pat at that moment with the highest projected lineup based on whoever's available, that your chances of coming in like the top, like just over the cash line maybe is let's just say 50% likely. So this could be 50% likely of getting there. This could be swapping out a little bit. Maybe you you have a 40% chance of getting here, right? Because some of it, you're going to get a little bit further. And this one, you may only have like a 20% chance, right? Swapping out even further. But it's like the difference, you're giving up a a percentage likelihood of cashing, but you're not gaining much. Like a 20% of the time you cash. And some of those times you get a 2X instead of a 1.5X. Is that worth it? From an EV standpoint, no. You'd much rather have a shot. Just You just need the cash. Remember, all the equity, most of the equity in a contest in these GPPs are towards the top. You have no access to those that equity. right? It's very unlikely that you're going to swap out to all 1% on guys and end up in the top 1%. That'll happen. Yes, you can do that. The, the likelihood of that happening is, is very, very, very low. As the further away, let's say instead of you being here, right? I'm going to take out the the dot. I take out the dot. Come on. Say instead of being there, you're way behind, right? Let's get rid of some of these lines. If you're way behind, now it's less and less likely that you could just stand pat. It's more likely you have to sacrifice projection for lower ownership. Right? If you're sitting here, you're way behind, right? You're faded, you know, two guys that are high owned or something like that. And they did extremely well. And now you're sitting down here. It's like, yeah, now now you have to now you don't have access to like standing. If you stand pat, like your range of outcomes is typically probably maybe, maybe something like that, right? It's like, oh, I don't even get there. Like most of the time, like it's very rare that you get all the way there. You're going to have to go to more extreme sense to get your, to increase the variance of your lineup to get just to the cash line. Most people do that right and the low end, right? Or they don't do it at all, right? They just say, oh, that lineup's dead. Screw it. Swap out all those guys. Go kamikaze. But where a lot of people get it wrong is that they're close to the cash line and they start blowing up everything. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have at the very, very top, right? At the very, very top of a GPP, you're sitting there going, okay, now I'm just, I'm going to play the top projected line. I'm just going to, I'm going to block everyone. Well, in theory, that makes sense if you're in first place. If you stand to win first place, then you would want to block everyone possible. But it's unlikely that you're that 
you're the only one with the shot at first place. You're the only one with the nut advantage. So it's quite possible that the three remaining spots in your lineup are, sh- those are shared by other people that are currently slightly ahead of you. Next thing you know, there's no way for you to win first place. Now, the, the best you could do is win fourth place. It sounds great. Yeah, okay, you win fourth place. It's like the difference between fourth place and first place is a lot. Is a lot in GPPs. Is a lot. So maybe it's more beneficial in those scenarios, unless you know you could block everyone to increase the range of your outcomes. That also means it gives you more shot, more probability of winning first, but it also gives you more probability coming in like 115th place, right? Going down. Are you willing to take that shot? From an EV standpoint, most of the time you should be. So on a micro level, right? Let's 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 do the double up. The double up's easy. Like I'm showing the GPP because the equity dynamics are so skewed. In a double up, you'd be doing the same exact thing, right? If you're this far behind versus that far behind in a double up. But you only have to get to the 45th percentile. I mean, like that's the main thing of like, it's very easy to see in a double up why coming in first place doesn't matter. Like once you come in in the top 45th percentile in a double up, you're done. Everyone knows. I mean, it's just like, okay, why? What? what's the purpose of getting any more points? I don't need anything more than coming in outside the cash line. So if you're this close to the cash line, right, you want to increase the range of outcomes like that, right? You want to get there. If you're this far behind, you're not going to be able to stay pat. You're going to have to find a way to get it all the way there, right? So the more and more you're behind, the more and more you should be blowing up your lineup. The closer you are to the cash line, you're gonna you're gonna may change your lineup, but not not to the as drastic extent of as of a lot of what a lot of people do. So from a micro level, so let's go through like head to heads is easy on a micro level. Let's say on a micro level, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna just use the example of NFL only because it has like two distinct lock periods for the most part. 1 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Eastern, 425 Eastern, whatever. You have an early set of games and a late set of games. So let's say after the early set of games, like you're sitting there and you have uh, you have whatever amount of points. 120. Your opponent. Let's even put it, make it easy. Your, your lineup. Your lineup and opponent lineup. Right. Let's say you're 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 five points up on your opponent, and you got one slot left, right? I'm just gonna make it easy. You have these 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 five players available to you: A, B, C, D, E, and uh, C, D, and E. With here's their median projection. Here's here's their large field ownership. It said like, what's the ownership? If you both have A in your contest, right? And the ownership would be this, right? Your last player in your lineup, both players lineup was this. Was A. Now you have 120, your opponent has 115. It's in your benefit because you're in first place is to block your opponent. If you can share the same points as your opponent, you win in the last spot. Right? It's just we're using the example of everyone has played except for the one slot to make it easy. So you'd play player A. 
the highest rejected player that fits in that spot. Now, let's say what happens if you're behind. Say you're the one with 115 and your opponent's the one with 120. Your opponent most likely has, let me share the screen. Yeah, because I, uh, let's see. There we go. Your opponent has player A. Well, now you have to swap. Who are you going to swap to between A, B, C, D, and E? The highest rejected, the highest rejected player that the, the, your opponent doesn't have. So B. Is there a point in choosing C? Is there a point in choosing D? Is there a point in choosing E? To lower your projection even further? No. You know that player B is 0% of. Your opponent has player A. So you play the one that's slightly lower projected, and then you're not, you, now you're unblocked. Head to head, this is an easy dynamic. If you're ahead, block. If you're behind, unblock. Easy. Because you're either in first place or you're in last place. One of the two. Remember the macro strategy that we discussed before about contests is that once you're in first place, you're you're in a position of blocking everyone. So it's more beneficial for you to block as many people as possible when you're in first place. Once you start coming in second, third, fourth, fifth, like in these types of payout structures, it gives you more and more incentive to unblock yourself. Even though you're way up there. You're way you're what you you have a good shot at coming in 8th place in this large field GPP. But the difference between 8th place and 1st place is so dramatic that from an EV perspective it make much more sense, may give you much more profit long term is if you looked at the lineups that stand to be above you and unblock yourself from those lineups. Even if you have to lower your projection to do so. Do you have to unblock all all the combinations? No. So we went through a head-to-head scenario, which is easy because you're either in first place or in your last place. But how about a double up, right? Let's say you're in double up, right? You have one spot to go. We don't know what the ownership is, right? This is, you know, don't have an opponent lineup but let's say let's say uh you're 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 five points behind the line right so you have 120 20 points and cash line we'll even write it down here cash line 125 when adjusting for pmr and salary okay the thing about double ups is that ownership is very condensed So player A, you have one spot left in your lineup, right? Player A is 75% owned, right? Player player B is is 40% owned. Player C is 35% owned. I mean, maybe maybe we even even further than this. 20% owned and 10% owned or something like something like this. Now, if the cash line is at 125, what percentile is that? Okay, because if you can, if you played player A, who's 75% owned, that means you're going to share the points with 75% of the field. Now, that would be fine if the other remaining 25% of the field isn't in the cash line. But most likely, some of them are. 
So it's not just how many points you are behind the cash line. It's how many lineups are you when adjusting for PMR and salary between you and the cash line. So we take a look here, like in this double up scenario, right? I'll get rid of some of these lines. Four points behind, five points behind sound. Oh, not that much. It's a lot if everyone's sharing the points that you could get remaining. But let's say you're sitting, this is the 45th percentile, right? Let's say you're four points behind, but you're sitting in the 50th percentile. Okay, so if 75% of the lineups have player A, 25% don't. So to make up this difference in five percentage points, a percentile difference, you can do even fa- even with with the seventy five percent owned guy. Just twenty, you know that twenty five percent of the field doesn't have them. Let's say he was they were ninety five percent owned. Then you're not going to be able to do it. You're not going to be able. You, you have to. You have to hope that the only difference between your lineups and the ones that are five five percentile points ahead of you all don't have that player that 95 percent on player right imagine going even further than that let's say you're really behind you're down in the 80th percentile range so you need you need to make up like 40 what 35 percentage percentiles regardless of how many points this could represent only eight points right because maybe you're playing an 11 man double up it could be something like that So you need to make up 35 percentage points pretty much in ownership. So if you had a guy that was 75% owned, and you're like, I'm going to switch out player A for player B. Is player B even good enough? 50% of the field have player B also, right? You have to make up 35 of those. You have to hope that most of the lineups that are already past the cash line have that guy in it already. What lineups are you competing against? You're not competing against the lineups up here. You're competing against the lineups that are around the cash line. So in that scenario, if you're 35 percentile off, you want to make it so that more of the more of the field doesn't have the player than does have the player. So you'd probably play player C. Who's 35% owned? Obviously, the further you go down, you can find players that are that 99% of the field doesn't have. But there's a reason why 99% of the field doesn't have them, because they don't project that well. So your your likelihood of hitting the cash line in that standpoint goes lower and lower and lower and lower. But I find that most people make the mistakes when they're just behind the cash line. They swap too much. But you have to figure out where you are. And you have to know what lineups you're competing against. In GPPs, when you're behind, which is going to be, what, 99% of the time, 99% of the time in GPP, you're not going to be in a position of being near first place and having and looking, do I block, do I not, do I whatever, you know. Now, most of the time, you're going to be in a spot where, where oh, you're inside the cash line and maybe you could get another, another five percentile up. Like, what's the difference between 3X and 5X? Not much. Those are the those are the those are the lineups I typically don't even change. Lineups that don't have the nut advantage that also have a high shot of just cashing. 
It's like, okay, what's the point of changing any of them? It's like, like I either get a 1.5x or a 5x finish. One of us, there's somewhere in between those two. Why am I even, why, why am I wasting my time worrying about them? All I care about is the lineups that either have the nut advantage or are so far behind that I need to swap out everything. But this is the micro stuff you have to, you have to, you have to manage yourself. In double ups, the reason why you're, see, when people will say, it's like, oh, okay, you're, you're only this far behind, right? In cash games, right? In double ups. Oh, I'm, all, I'm only like 10 percentile behind, right? The cash line. I need to swap out everything. Well, you, you're going to need to swap out everything if you're, if, if everyone is 90% owned. Yeah. Cause you don't have enough, you don't have enough leeway to get, to get 10 percentile points above. Because ninety percent of the field has that player. GPPs, it doesn't work that way. You're not gonna, you don't you rarely find ninety percent on players in GPPs. I mean, yeah, we have some NBA slates where you know we get some really high on players, but in NFL, in NFL DFS, we'll have a thirty-five percent on running back, right? But in in double ups, he'll be like eighty-five percent on. But there's a difference. An 85% on running back in a double up. You don't get much leeway if you're behind playing him. Right? He's he would be the guy that you fade if you need to make up points. In GPP at 35% on, that means 65% of the lineups don't even have him. You could you could still play that guy and make up points. Because more than half the field doesn't have him anyway. Double ups, you'll see lineups with 90% on, 80% on, 70% on. Right? If you're sitting there like five points behind, 10 points behind, you're going to have to swap based on just that ownership. But it has nothing to do with where you are. Oh, I'm only 10 points behind. I don't have to swap. Because Jordan said that when you're that close, don't bother swapping. That's not what I said. I said in GPPs, it's probably not because the ownership isn't as condensed. But in double ups, you may find these 90, 80, 90, 70% owned players. Think in terms of how many lineups do not have this player. I want to move up past those lineups. What percentile am I in? I'm in the 60th percentile. I need to get up to the 25th percentile. Okay, that's a 35 percentile difference. So you need to beat... 35% of the field and not share those points. So if you, if you have a guy that's like 80% owned, 20% of the field doesn't have them. Okay, do you get the 20% of the field doesn't have them? So now you move from 35 to 15 and you still didn't make the cash line, right? But as the ownership goes down, oh, he's 50% owned. That's he's still playable. Because 50% of the field does not have them. If you have any questions about this, just put it in the YouTube chat. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Steven Smith says, interesting, I was in first place last night with the last two games left. Dame busted in three. Second place guy had So Chan and I had done. I ended up in fourth, but it was cool to see it down to a 1v1. I don't know if you were in the position of play swapping in that spot. I don't know. Like I said, I'm not playing NBA DFS. So I don't know that I don't know the the, the context of the, the slate yesterday. Steven Smith says you so you mentioned blocking. I figured that I had done that I could block most because he was so high owned, but it so happened that the few that didn't jumped me. Right. Well, that aren't I explaining the exact scenario that I said before? It's like you need to figure out who you're playing against. Yes, if Chris Dunn is 95% owned, be like, oh, okay, I can block. It's quite possible that the lineups above you don't have Dunn or the all the lineups do have Dunn. Like, those are the lineups you're competing against. You don't care about the people that are in seven, that, oh, he's 90% owned because the guy in 7,000th place has him also. Like, you know, those lineups don't matter to you anymore. You already have the nut advantage. You want to use that term. So take a look and take a look from a PMR to salary adjusted perspective of the lineups that you are competing against. You download the CSV and do that. It's tough. I mean, that's tough to determine. A lot of times I'm just doing that by by eyeball. Now, these are the situations that don't come out up that often, right? You're competing the first in the GPP. Most of the time you're in salvage zone, salvaging lineups. Do I swap? Do I not swap to salvage lineups? You're very rare in this situation where, oh, I'm, I have a shot at the top 10 finish, right? That doesn't happen as often, especially in large field GPPs. But maybe it's a small, maybe you're playing a hundred man contest. It's, the same applies. So if you see from, from the scenario last night that, you know, oh, you needed X, Y, and Z, these players. Kind of at, at their ownership, like those are going to be in the winning lineup. Do I have a lineup that has those players in it? Yes. Okay. So what other lineups have those players in it? How, what percent of the field has that? And those are the lineups you're competing with. And you go, okay, out of those lineups, how many lineups are likely to have player A, player B, player C, player D, player E? And what's the ownership, if you want to think even more advanced, What's the ownership of those players just in those sets, right? So it's quite possible that, you know, oh, that the guy is 65% owned in the field, but in your set of who you're competing against, in the 100 lineups, maybe he's only 30% owned. Maybe it's actually more advantageous then to play him. Or it could be the opposite. Guy is 60% owned in the field and, the last hundred 
line, the hundred liners you're competing against, he's ninety percent off. The same. I'm I'm going back to the general concepts of of GPP play, of leverage. Are they are they overowned or underowned? And how do you exploit the field? But this time the field is not the whole field. It's just the lineups that you're competing with for first place. And why is that important? I will repeat this over and over and over and over again. Why is that important? One of the biggest mistakes that people do in GPPs is not understanding where the equity lies. They're either playing to min cash too often, or they're playing so contrarian that the likelihood of them even coming in first place is still too low. Those are the two, too low projected, too high owned. So late swap, they do the same exact exploit of people that you're going to have people, let's say you figure out that 100 lineups have the nut advantage. We're using that term. You and 99 other lineups. If you're, those 99 people are more likely to block are more likely to swap to the higher-owned players, which gives you even more incentive to not play them. They're playing too high-owned of a combination of players. Not in general for the whole field, but just in that slice of 100 lineups that are realistically competing for first place. So how do you become more profitable? By gaining leverage on those, on those, those lineups. You will have a you'll make more money, show more profit. Your variance goes up, right? You swap out. And those guys go, and all those guys go off. I'm not saying you have to swap all the chalk. I mean, you know, you understand what I'm saying? It's like you don't have to go extreme. But let's say you swap off, and the guy you swapped off of that is in a lot, 90% of those lineups does well, and now you're sitting in 500th place. Oh, I shouldn't have done it, Jordan. I shouldn't. I should have just lost, said, "Well, determine what happens if you if you didn't swap." Well, if I didn't swap, I would have came in sixteenth place. I would have gone. So okay, so who cares then? No, but sixteenth place pays a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars, and five on whatever place I was in only paid twenty dollars. I go, okay, that's not much of a difference. That's, that isn't much of a difference. But now, if you what happens if that guy didn't do well? Like, let's say let's say he scored only half the points that he did. What what place would you have came in? Like, I would have came in third place. I said, how much is third place? Twenty five thousand dollars. Okay. Is it worth it now? Is it worth it now? That that's that's the point when you're playing GPPs. All the equity, I'll repeat it so many times because most people don't get it. In order to be profitable in GPPs, you must, must, M-U-S-T, if you want to be long-term profitable in GPPs, you must win them. No matter how many entries you put in, one or 150, you must win them. If you do not win GPPs, you cannot be profitable. Oh, but I cashed my lineups at like a 45% rate. You're, you're not profitable. Yeah, that's not profitable. All the equity is in the top spots. 
And a lot of times it's in the top, top spot. Like the difference between coming in first and second may make may make a difference in your entire year. So when all the equity that makes you profitable is up in the top range, you should not care one instant about, well, I want to just lock in a 20th place finish. Well, if you're locking in 20th place finishes, I'll, I'll see you a couple of years from now and you go, like, why is my ROI and GPPs like minus 8%? Like, but I, but I, I place a lot of lineups. It's like, how many GPPs have you won? It's like, well, I haven't won any of them. So there you go. That's the reason. One of the main culprits of why people don't win GPPs when they should is that they're given, they're put in a situation where they can exploit the field the greatest and they do not take it. They go, oh, okay, I got the I got the right stack, you know, in baseball or something. Right? Some early stack goes off, right? It's like, oh, I got the I got the five man, whatever stack. The Blue Jays, they went off. It was four, there's four games late, right? It's the, the Giants are playing and the Angels are playing and whatever. It's like, well, I got the, I got the nut stack. I got the nut stack and, and, and the nut start, and there's a starting pitcher that pitched early. That's 36 points. I got the nuts, right? It's like, okay, now what do I do? It's like, okay, now uh, Mike Trout is going to be 30% down, so I'm going to plug him in. Like, that's what they think. And my attitude is the complete opposite of that. That I could plug my trout in if I'm the only one with the with the stack, with that stack and that pitcher, sure. Then I'll block everyone. That's no problem. But most likely I can't block everyone. So you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna see how many lineups have this stack in this combination. How many? How many lineups am I competing against? The more and more lineups I'm competing against, the more and more likely I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna try to find leverage against those lineups. So I see, I put it, I go into Roto Grinders, I go into lineup HQ, I plug in the pitcher and the those five batters, and then I just run them. I go, okay, what would be the highest projected lineup, right? Right, if I just would have swap with what's available, obviously. I go, okay, I'm I'm much more likely to someone's gonna have that. Someone's gonna have that. Right? Someone may, above me may have some 14-point player in some other spot, right? It's a large baseball slate. So my job now is to get the highest rejected lineup that has the least combinatorial ownership against who I'm playing against, not the rest of the field. I don't care about the rest of the field, just the people I'm playing against. And maybe I find, maybe there's 150 lineups that I'm competing against. It's like, okay, now you can get rid of everything. What's happening in those 150 lineups? And I see that's like, okay, most likely people playing those lineups are playing Mike Trout as a one-off or something like that in the late game. I'm like, and most likely they're not playing Giants. Because they'd have to leave like 1,500 on the table. I have no problem just going, okay, I'm taking out I'm my last three spots in my lineup. If I had three spots in my lineup, I'm just going to play a Giants stack. It's like, yeah, but you're you're sacrificing like six points in projection. In a bimodal sport, I don't, okay, six points? What, was that a double? Was that a single run, a stolen base? I mean, that's not, that's not much. And I'm correlating three guys together that are all inside of those 150 lineups. Almost no one has. Mike Trout inside of those 150 lineups I'm competing against is going to be like 65% owned. He's only 30% owned in the whole contest. 
in all the lineups, but in amongst those lineups that I'm competing against, he's 65% owned. And maybe Freddie Freeman at first base or something for the Dodgers. He's in those lineups, he's 52% owned. In the whole field, he's maybe only 25, but in this set, he's like 50% owned. There's just so much incentive to just not play those players. But they're the highest projected players. Who cares? I can play a lineup that's a little bit lower projected that is looks nothing like any of the 150 lineups. That I'm gonna be. If Mike Trout has a bad day, he goes 0 for 4, and Freddie Freeman goes 0 for 4, I win. I must, it doesn't, almost doesn't even matter what the Giants do. As long as the Giants put up a couple of points, okay, there you go, I win. I got to pass all those lineups because two guys do badly. Now, if they do well and you don't have them, yeah, you're going to come in. You're not going to you're not, you're not going to win. You're not going to come in the top 100. You're not playing for how do I how do I come in 12th place in GPPs? You should never be playing that way. All the money is at the top. So from a micro perspective in GPPs, the more and more lineups that you're competing against for equity, the more and more incentive you have to late swap, to lower projected lineups to gain leverage against that set of lineups. Okay, the more and more incentive until you get to the top. If you're if you're if the lineup that you're competing against is yourself, then you just block everyone. Then at that point, it's like, how could I lose? Like, I'm gonna play Mike Trout and Freddie Freeman in that lineup, right? I'm ahead by 34 points. No one has this combination, or very few have this combina- combination. Now I could block. Now let's say let's say you're only competing against five lineups towards the top. Well, at least you're the lowest spot you could come in is fifth place, and that's still a lot of money. But if a hundred line, if a hundred lineups you're competing against, the difference between first and a hundredth is all is, is ridiculous. But the difference between twentieth and a hundredth isn't that different. Oh, I came in a hundredth place. How much you get for a hundredth place? I got tw- I got fifty bucks. It's like how much would have you gotten for twentieth place? One hundred and twenty-five dollars. Yay! That's that's not that big of a difference. That isn't that isn't that big of a difference, especially when first place is a hundred thousand dollars, second place is fifty thousand, third is twenty-five, and fourth is ten thousand. The difference between 125 bucks and $75, $50 difference coming in 20th or coming in 100th, who cares? Where is all the equity? <sighs> Ernie's Chipotle education says, a great lesson for those putting more than expected lineups in the top 1%, but never getting into the top 0.1%. That's correct. And the same thing on the bottom end. Okay, understand the same thing on the bottom end. Too many people see lineups that are way, you know, that that oh, below the cash line, and they just they just they just say screw it, ain't bothering swapping, right? Oh well, lost cause. Like let's say let's say you save one lineup, one lineup to a min cash. Let's say you're playing the fifteen dollar GPP. Let's say you play a large field GPP. Let's just say, right? Even if you're playing ten lineups or whatever amount of lineups. And you're able to save one lineup a day for 300 days. Didn't I, didn't I go over this yesterday? 
Save one lineup. So instead of 15, right, you get 2250. If you did that one lineup a day, that's a, that's a that's a swing of like ten thousand dollars in your return. If you can save one lineup per day, so there's so many people that on the bottom end, right? We talk about lineups are below the because once once you're below the cash line, once you're once you're not keeping up pace with the rest of the field, once you don't, you have nowhere near the nut advantage. People are like, well, if I can't come in first, who cares? And then what they do is they go, okay, how can I switch this out so I can close it first? It's like, you ain't making first. You should be thinking of how do I maximize my chance of just rescuing this lineup to the cash line? What combination of players do I need? The closer I am to the cash line, the more I could possibly just play the highest projected lineup or play a high projected lineup and eke my way in. But the further way I get, I need to find, you need to find more leverage. You could save one lineup a night, one lineup a week. I mean, one lineup, one lineup a week, right? Going from fifteen to twenty-two fifty, right? Even if you did that once a week, once a week, how much how much money we're talking about, right? If you save a lineup, right, and it's fifty-two weeks a year, right? Fifty-two weeks a year times instead of losing seven hundred and eighty dollars, you'd be winning. 11, uh, 1,170. So that's like that's almost a $2,000 delta. You saved one lineup a week in a $15 GPP. $2,000. Is that worth it to you? Then, then do it. Don't just say, oh, oh, well. Oh, well, I don't have, I don't have the nuts. I don't, oh, I didn't, I didn't play that guy in that lineup. Oh, I didn't play this game in that lineup. Just forget about it. Yeah, most of the time you don't get to the cash line. Most most of the time you fail to get to the cash line. But if you don't even try, if you're like, oh, okay, I'm just gonna leave it alone. Whatever happens, happens. I mean, that's a mistake as well. Just like the mistake of, oh, I'm 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 competing for a top spot. Let me just block everyone, and then you're not blocking everyone, and you come in you come in eighth place when you could have come in first place. The value of coming in first versus eighth in the top, like that's why. I'm someone that rallies for flatter payout structures. I don't care about the flatness down here, right? Down in the fifth percentile. I don't care about that. I don't care about flatness down here. I care about flatness up here. First to 10th, that's it, right? If instead of it being 100,000, 50,000, 25,000, 10,000, 5,000, 2,500, you know, by the time first place is 100,000 and 10th place is 1,000. I'd much rather it be first place be 40,000 and 10th place be 5,000. Flatten it out. So the difference between 10th and 1st is not as dramatic. The difference between 6th and 4th is not as dramatic. But those are the spots I'm talking about. I don't care. The difference between 10th and 100th, who cares? Kind of like the top 10, top 20. Just flatten that out. So I know that if I can get into top 10, top 20, I'm getting a nice payday. But that's not the way DFS is. You'll see. You could play MLB. I mean, look, last last season in MLB, I think I had 17 top 20 finishes. 17 top 20 finishes. I And, and I lost money in MLB last year. 
17 top 20 finishes. One second, I think two-fourths, and then a whole bunch of like eighths, ninths, elevenths, stuff like that. But those spots pay like 300 bucks. First place pays 50000 I mean, it's just ridiculous. So you have to do what you can when you're in that position to maximize your shot at winning the first winning first place. Even if you have to sacrifice and be like, if this doesn't work out, I come in 700th place, then that's fine. That's what you should be doing. So if you got any more questions about this, you can email me, questions at theoryofdfs.com. Figure to answer this because uh, some questions came in about late swap, and we talked about that on Monday. Uh, but but yeah, send in your questions. Late swap, and not and anything. Anything you want about DFS strategy. I answer it all, right? We'll probably be going over. I'll, I'll, I'll be saving this little sketch for the next time we talk about this, right? Probably two months from now. So when I ask about late swap, and we go over it again, that's perfectly fine. It's perfectly fine. If you don't want to go over things over and over again, and you want it all at one shot, Get the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. Both courses. How to think like a professional DFS player. How to apply profitable DFS strategies for advanced players, which which comes with uh, custom Excel tools. Go pick those up. Theoryofdfs.com. If you don't want to wait until we come around to different topics and whatever, right? We we have uh, the titles now on, on on the video, so it's easier to find. We'll call this one Late Swap Micro Strategy. But as long as you get the concepts, like, oh, do I swap this guy or that guy? Well, we're not talking about players. We're talking about concepts. When should you be more likely to swap? When you should be less likely to swap? Where does the equity lie? How far behind are you? How far ahead are you? How many lineups are you competing against? Those are the questions that matter the most. Not do you play Chris Dunn or do you play Jeremy Sochan? Because in order to make that decision, you have to you have to analyze. What position you're in? What would be more beneficial? So give me those thummy thumbs. If you've learned some things, thumbs up, thumbs down, doesn't matter. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. We got NBA. We got NBA tonight. We got tons of stuff coming up. We got we got 30 days till baseball. Third 28. When is when is the opening day? It's it's close. We're coming up to two, three, three and a half weeks or so, and then we're gonna then it's gonna be that for. Ooh. But I don't mind baseball, right? There's less late swap, right? I don't have to worry about this guy in, that guy in, that guy out. Occasionally, you get a pitcher scratch or something. I'm looking forward to actually, you know, because all I've been doing now in DFS is playing soccer and MMA, right? When it would, or obviously NFL ended, uh, and I'm not playing XFL. Uh, so it'd be nice to just get it, get into a daily sport again, right? MLB every day. And typically, I play MLB every single day uh, through through September. Right, maybe occasionally I don't. I think occasionally I don't play like the Sunday late slate or something like the the second slate, or maybe I don't play Saturdays. Sometimes it depends. Depends when 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 the slates line up. But mostly I'm playing every day for baseball, so I'm looking forward to that. Daniel Hutchins says, "Still too many days till baseball. Too many, too many pitchers and catchers. They're back. Spring training's going on. Right? It's warming up. I'm just happy that it's warming up." So hit those thumbs up button on your way out the door and I'll see you tomorrow. Answering your DFS uh, strategy questions like I normally do here Monday through Friday, 11 o'clock Eastern on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.